Hi, it's Brooke. Hi, it's Sarah. And welcome back to the Making Sense of the Conversation podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about systemic racism. So systemic racism basically, like, it's systems that are put in place and have created and maintained racial inequality in nearly every aspect of lives of people, for people of color. Um, racism creates disparities in many success indicators, including wealth, the criminal justice system, employment, housing, healthcare, politics, and even education. Um, this concept was first named during the civil rights movement in the 1960s and refined in the 1980s. It makes it more challenging for people of color to participate in society and in the We're going to be talking about the wealth gap. So, what exactly is the wealth gap? What it sounds like, it's a wealth gap between people of color and white people that have been created through this systemic racism in the institutions in our society. So, just a general fact, um, in the 2000-consumer finances, it was shown that white families hold 90% of the national wealth Latinx families with two three and black families only hold two point six. So it's clear the despair between um, you know between people of color and white families, and that's part of the problem and part of what's making systemic racism. In addition, um, we looked at the median net worth of a white family. It was shown to be one hundred thirty-four thousand, but the need. Mean net worth for a Hispanic family was only fourteen thousand, and for a Black family, it was eleven thousand. And so, when we're looking at these numbers, it's going to be a clear indication of what they're able to afford. And we should ask the question: Why are why is the difference so great? Yeah, and I think it's just crazy. Like every time I see the statistics, I always see this when I'm researching this. Is that well, you wrote down that Black Americans make up 13% of the population, but only have 2.7% of the country's wealth. And that's just crazy to me because, like, that just doesn't make sense. But you can Logic. clearly see who is holding the wealth. Like, if we're speaking so, about representation, that is terrible representation. Um, I have a similar fact. I don't know if it's completely the same, but it was kind of saying again that um, that the net worth of a typical white family is 171000 which is 10 times greater than that of a black family, which is only $17,150. And um, this all ties into the different factors we're going to later talk about, including employment and like housing discrimination. Um, so we can actually probably move into that because um, <laughs> employment... Housing is a big part of these issues. So for the last 60 years, Black Americans unemployment has always been twice as high as white employment. And it doesn't matter like the economic climate. Even during a depression, it's still twice as high. During a recession, twice as high. Even during the high points of like a political climate, I mean an economic climate, it's still twice as high. And so we have to ask ourselves why is that happening? I don't think it's because 
I think it would be unfair to say that black and brown people are lazy and that they're not as hardworking because that would just be, that'd be racist to say, to be completely honest. I have also another, a couple um, statistics on that. Um, So in 2016, women had higher poverty rates than men in the United States. In fact, um, the women have higher poverty rates in every state except Colorado and Idaho, where the rate is equal. And the poverty rate for African-American women is 21.4% compared to 18.7% for Latinx people. And um, similarly, 22% for Native American which was higher than the U.S. national poverty rate was only 12.7%. So again, you can see this disparity in employment. Um, Similarly, there's also differences according to the U.S. Census Bureau with, um, let me see, it was, um, so the rates are highest for, working age. I don't know what that means, actually. I don't know where I was going with that. But basically, the difference in poverty rates is, again, in part due to the structural racism that prevents um, minority women from obtaining the same employment opportunities as Caucasians, which, again, limits their ability to earn living wages and affects everything else, including housing, education, and can even have, like, reaches into the criminal justice system. Again, it's all connected, basically. And then one of the most interesting things I, I saw was that I can I can speak to this. If you apply for a job with a white-sounding name, you're 50% more likely to get a call back than a black-sounding name. And I've researched that's done on this, and it's it's 100% true. And so, like, in my family, like, Brooke is, like, a traditionally, um, well, historically, it's, not, it's a white-sounding name. And so, like, there's, like, everyone in my family has, like, a white-sounding name because, like, my grandmother knew it would be, like, beneficial to us. Like, everyone's name is, like, it's, like, Irish. It's, like, Patricia, Shirley, Patrick, Harrington. So, it's, like, people, like, do that. It's, like, a self-preservation thing where you have to protect yourself because, your name could have like a negative stereotype like i read the book uh freakonomics and traditionally like black sounding names when they are like so the top five I think, like asia deja diamond jasmine i forget the fifth one but they're um they're shown to be less likely to be hired and more likely to be discriminated against so there's obviously something there that makes like when someone's hiring that makes them say oh wait maybe i shouldn't hire this person because of their name doesn't sound a certain way and so that just goes to show like how ingrained it is in society like you might not even notice it but like you might judge someone based solely on their name because you associate it with a race of people that's really interesting because weren't earlier in the year your research project didn't you have to choose names or was that someone else I don't remember but you had to choose I had to my research project it was um about sexual harassment and then I had to do like two white sounding names and then two black sounding names to see how people would react to the different situations that people were in and so the two white sounding names were Emma and Colin and the two black sounding names were Deja and Jamal 
and there was a difference. So people do associate names with a race of people. Sorry. Yeah, that's, that's just and then like part of the problem. That, like part of the people try and like make the statement that it's because of black or like brown people are not educated. But then, like, if you look at black college graduates, they're still almost twice as likely to be unemployed as their white college graduate counterparts. So then you can't, like, make that argument that that they're lazy because even in the situation where they're at the same education level, they're still being, they're still less likely to be, um, they're twice as likely to be unemployed. Yeah, I think that also ties into, like, the whole like education system like how it should be helping these kids but sometimes it's actually working against them um which is like another but we can get into that um after we talk about like housing i guess because that's our next part mm-hmm. oh do you want to start or i can explain redlining if you want so basically in terms of housing um, and housing discrimination, there is a term called redlining that is really prominent in the idea where that um, it states how there's racial discrimination in mortgage lending um, that started all the way from like the 1930s where this group called the Federal Homeowners um, Loan Corporation marked neighborhoods um, like hazardous on maps by um, kind of circling them in red ink. So that's why it's called redlining. So um, from that point on, those parts or areas that were considered hazardous and marked in red ink have always uh, been seen to have lower income, um, more minority residents. And it's kind of feeding into the housing discrimination that we kind of see today. Do you have anything to add? Yeah, so you can see it. It's very prevalent today because in Long Island, especially in Nassau County, we're one of the most segregated, like, counties in, like, the country. And you can see it because based on where you live, that determines what kind of education you're getting. And I think one of the places most prominent is, like, in Hempstead and then Garden City. There is line where it's drawn and I've driven through there like many of times where you can see the wealth completely replenish and it's it's scary to see because the houses can go from app like mansions to like the t- like like the smallest houses and like the streets are dirty and like that just and like what I think like a solution to that is is like redrawing where like the school district you would go to is mm-hmm. because it's unfair to only have the wealthy people go to a good school because if you really wanted to make change you would say oh we should help the people who are like impoverished like you should help them and they should get the proper education that they deserve but because of the redlining the districts are so segregated that there's, a, there's also a lack of diversity in schools and that also plays to how racism is perpetuated within schools. Yeah, and then I actually went driven through that area too. And I, I think Mr. Davis, who my social studies teacher, once told me that that was one of the most, um, I guess, segregated areas where it's 
such a difference in wealth in in maybe our entire country. It's crazy. I was it's actually crazy. There's like mansions and then all of a sudden next street over, literally like two feet away. It's exactly completely different. I was driving there the other day and it's so scary to see. Like even like the types of stories you'll see are completely different. And mm-hmm. like the gar- like the gardens are, are different. Like the type of trees that grow and like how the air like the two sides are maintained. It's very scary to see how like the disparity between them because like if you go into garden city you'll have a bunch of whole food stores like health food stores like there's a lot of options there but when you enter into the Hempstead, the like it completely changes there's not as many of those options to pick healthier like healthier foods they're not there and so because housing discrimination it also affects like the food you eat like the quality of your health and i'm I bet that the water quality is different as well. Like that, I, that wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me either. Um, I mean, what you're saying is basically the idea, like all these institutions tie together and like these red line areas. Um, well, what I've read is that they don't have a tax base to support, you know, good public schools or good healthcare systems, transportation, and just leads to obvious issues of public safety. And in some cases, over-policing, which is another issue that we'll probably talk about in a later episode. But um, I don't know. It's just crazy because, again, um, you know, African-American make up 13% of our population and make up, like, almost half of our homeless population, which, after hearing these facts, is not that surprising because they were discriminated from 1930s on. And it all led to this, you know, racial discrimination in um, our demographic and wealth patterns. So, yeah. I, I think the people, like, they make it seem like it was so long ago that all of this happened, but it, it really isn't that long. Like, it takes a while for, like, with everything that's happened, like, with slavery and then segregation and Jim Crow, it's like, you have, like, it takes time to rebuild. And if you don't get rid of racist policies, like, redlining then there's no way that we could actually achieve like racial equality unless there's any form of equity given to like under um represented groups yeah well and also just to make clear like redlining is not technically still like what you mean is that like it's the lingering effects are still there it's yeah because like, there's like the de facto versus de jure laws like it's not it's specifically racist but like it's not necessarily a, a law but it's like it's there it's there yeah that's how that's basically i feel like that's kind of same thing with how people still argue how maybe um we should have like reparations for slavery and stuff because the effects are still there. And I think that's the main argument of how those people argue their case. Um, I feel like those are kind of similar, similar arguments. Like just a simple yeah. housing discrimination is to redraw district lines. So like if you were to, instead of taking that line that runs like horizontally through Hempstead and Garden City, you draw it vertically and that redraws the district. And so now half those kids are going to Garden City School and then half of them are going to Hempstead School. Obviously, the parents who are going to Garden City Schools, they're going to pour their money into that school. 
and make it better. The state's going to have to put more money into it. And they also can, like, they kind of catch them in their own problem because if they complain about it, then they're just accepting the fact that maybe there is a difference. If you wouldn't want your own kids to go there, why not? What's wrong with that? They'll have to accept the fact that there is clearly a difference and maybe that will make them understand. So, yeah. Um, and then also, <laughs> on top of education, like, like in like in neighborhoods where the the wealth is lower, they have there's off, there's like often over policing within the schools, and that's yeah. like the school to prison pipeline. I I researched that for an English project I had to do, and it essentially like. So they're having, they're going to these schools where they're not getting a proper education and like there's police schools and they're going to get in trouble and then they're going to end up on the street and then there's over policing in their neighborhoods. And so then the police are going to like, they're going to have many arrest records and they're going to be sent to prison. And instead of solving the problem within the schools, people blame it on them not working hard. It's no, it's because they're not receiving the proper education that they deserve. They're children. Every child deserves an education. And if they're being denied that because of the color of their skin, then how is that fair? And so that that also goes into like the housing and how like where you live is gonna affect and like over policing in certain areas. Yeah, um, just in line with what you were saying is that I found some things about suspensions and like statistics on suspensions where black children make up like nearly 50% of suspensions while in like nationwide only make up about 18% of preschoolers. So you can clearly see like the disparity between that. And they're also suspended or expelled at rates three times greater than white students. And with kind of going along with the school to prison pipeline, it's they're being suspended or expelled and at higher percentages than white students. And then um, if they eventually do get arrested or something, they'll be convicted at higher rates. And then eventually they would have longer sentences in prison. And that's just like facts that I've read. And so again, the school to prison pipeline where they're just pushing kids into the juvenile justice system early. And then later on, they just continue as an adult into the, I guess the adult justice system. I'm not sure exactly what it's called, but yeah. So like, yeah. once you are incarcerated and you have a record, that's gonna stay with you for the rest of your life. And it's gonna make it harder for you to do anything. Like people who have been arrested, who have been convicted and they've served their jail sentence, they still face like discrimination in fighting jobs. They face discrimination in housing. Like if you have an, a record, you're more, you're less likely to be taken in by public housing. So like with, we can talk about incarceration now. So the number of brown people who are in jail has skyrocketed from the eighties because of the war on drugs. So before the eighties, there was less than half a million people in the US prison system. But now like after the war on drugs, there's more than 2 million. And so of every 100,000 Americans, about 700 are incarcerated, but of every 100,000 Black men, over 4,000 are incarcerated. Mm -hmm. And so what that does, it's like, 
be, and then once you're arrested, like you're you have a record and you have like you're a felon, you're no longer allowed to vote, which doesn't make sense to me. And it's so it means that thirteen percent of Black American men are denied the right to vote. So you're taking such a you're taking a pretty good portion of a population and not allowing them to vote. And so they can't even vote on what they feel would be better for them because you've taken that right away from them because you're over policing their areas and you're like with the war on drugs that was clearly like I want to get into that that was just yeah something different yeah I think also what's really interesting to me is that this is a criminal justice system built and established during Jim Crow era so exactly. I think in prison, it's just another form of slavery because there was no, there were no jails like like large like privatized jails before the end of slavery. So then you create an institution and you create like systems like the police system, which was created initially to catch like runaway slaves and then transform them into the people who are supposed to serve and protect. And then you also create a, you create a system where people can be thrown in jail for literally any little thing. Yeah, I was reading something about like, you know how most, uh, not most, but maybe a lot of the um, incarcerated people are on like major, I mean, minor like marijuana charges and stuff like that. But now that it's legalized, I was reading an article about a debate about like whether those people deserve to be free or not. like because it's now legalized and whatnot. I don't know, but I just thought that was an interesting thing maybe to talk about later on. And yeah, we can talk about drug arrests too. So that, so white and black Americans, like they equally use marijuana, but blacks are 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for it. And then with this industry, like because it's being legalized in so many places, the industry, it's a place to invest money into. But I was watching, um, I was watching a show. I was watching Patriot Act, and um, when you look at it right now, the like the marijuana industry is being um, monopolized by like three, like I think seven or ten major companies owned and like being the CEOs of all are white, like white Americans. And there was there's only one um legal dis- like one dis- um dispensary in Massachusetts and it's owned by these two black men who were I think they were convicted they were felons but like they were able to get this able to create this um, company and they're try and the, one of these large companies are trying to buy them out because they have the money and they have the resources to do that so this co- like like selling marijuana it's like becoming something that it's being adopted because it's now legal and it's just completely like taking black Americans out of the equation, even though they've been arrested for having like possession of marijuana in such small quantities and it's ruined their entire lives. And they're not now unable to invest into something that could be some, that could like make money for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. I understand what you're trying to say. Um, yeah. I think that just, goes back into like the fact that African Americans once they're arrested and stuff for things that you know might be so minor that maybe a white person would not have even been arrested for 
And now that they're actually trying to create something out of that, now that it's been legalized, um, people are trying to take that from them and trying to create wealth off of them um, that they worked hard for. And that's just not right. Um, but to end this, not to end this, but like um, to talk, to end this section about like mass incarceration and criminal justice system, I want to read a quote from a Georgetown law professor, David Cole, in which he says that um, see, these double standards are not, of course, explicit on the face of it. The criminal law is colorblind and classblind, but in a sense, this only makes the problem worse. The rhetoric of the criminal justice system sends a message that our society carefully protects everyone's constitutional rights, but in practice, the rules assure the law enforcement prerogatives will generally prevail over the rights of minorities and the poor. So I think that kind of talks about um, the last part. It talks about the law enforcement part, which is another thing. But um, again, it's just the idea that you know criminal law is colorblind and classblind is just not true. It's not true, which is shown in you know the stats about people who are incarcerated, these drug arrests, um, employment, like all of these different subcategories of systemic racism. So yeah. Um, um, we can talk about infant mortality and like healthcare now. So there's a statistic that a black child, like a baby, like a newborn, is almost 2.5 times more likely to die before reaching their first birthday, and that black mothers are three times more likely to die during childbirth, and that black and Hispanic mothers are twice as likely to receive not likely to receive proper prenatal care. Native American mothers are almost, or more than three times less likely to receive proper care. And so there also is that black women, their pain is perceived as being less legitimate like during childbirth. So if they ask for medicine, like they're denied and their pain is to, is always being a, like, they're hysterical. And so, that's why there's so many deaths. And a lot of times doctors don't take how black women are feeling seriously. And it, it, that's one of the main causes of why they die so often during childbirth. Yeah. Um, and similarly, I read in another study where that it was found that like doctors have this unconscious racial biases when it comes to black patients. So that kind of ties into what you were saying about how like you know, they might have like preconceived notions about, um, you know, black Americans or black patients. And in general, also black Americans are far more likely than whites to have this lack of access to maybe emergency medical care or hospitals that are actually well-funded or staffed, which I think also goes back to um, the idea of redlining and the housing um, discrimination because if they're, you know, segregated into different areas, obviously um, places or areas with maybe less money, uh, less staffed would have worse hospital care, which again ties into healthcare and obviously disparities within that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then also bring up its implications on COVID situation, because oh. I know a lot of so if we're like, talking about COVID, 
black and brown people like in major cities are being like tar like they're they're dying from it more than any other group of people other than native Americans. and so like in the city it becomes a problem of like there's a disparity of like which hospital you can go to and then can you afford to pay your medical bills like can you afford going in to the emergency room can you afford calling an ambulance and so there's like the choice of being like will I ever will I be able to pay my rent or should I go to the hospital and some people are going to choose I need to pay my rent I need to protect myself I need to like have a place for my family to live and so they end up not coming to the hospital and so now like they're not receiving the care that they need and they're and with how serious COVID is like they're there's a large hospital that they're going to die in their own home because they were unable to afford to go to the hospital or to get an ambulance. Yeah. Uh, I bring this up because I, I forgot who I was talking to, but I think I was my physical therapist's office. I don't know, but she was talking about how the amount of people or the amount of minorities that act, that have been getting COVID is um, much higher than um, white people per se because of the lack of healthcare or um, just the lack of access to healthcare. So I thought that tied into healthcare pretty nicely. Um, with what's happening now, yeah. Um, so do you wanna talk about the immigration policies too? So undocumented people, they come from everywhere in the world, like everywhere. But the face of undocumented person is always assumed to be a Central American or South American person. And so we have to ask ourselves, why is that? Because if you're like thinking of like the color of someone's skin, if you're from Central America or South America, you're probably Hispanic or Latinx. And so your skin is going to be darker. And so that also, to target only that group of people, like when we think of, when you think of undocumented immigrants, like what's the first thing that's going to pop into your head? You might think of like a Hispanic person because that's what's so heavily, like that's what our like policies are heavy handed enforcement with those groups of people. And they like the ICE and like with these ICE detention centers and they're literally holding children in their concentration camps. It's, there's no other way around it. They're holding children there. And from what I read, they're literally like, sp- like spraying them with chemicals. And so it doesn't matter. Like, why are they only choosing that group of people to do that to? Because there's undocumented immigrants who come from Europe, but you would never see them treated in this manner ever. Yeah. I was, I forgot where I saw this stuff. How they're spraying them with chemicals and stuff. It's basically where people are dying because they might be allergic to those chemicals. I don't know the full story, so I don't want to speak on that, but like, I, that's what I was hearing. Yeah. It doesn't even matter. Like, those are, like, they're little children, and people are like saying, well, what their parents did was eat. They're undocumented, but they're people. Like, and I think we call them illegal aliens, I think that tries to dehumanize them so it makes it okay for what these people are doing. 
them. It's like, well, they're illegal aliens, so that's okay, but they're not. They're they're people. And to look at them any other way, I feel like it just allows you to rationalize what's happening to them. Yeah, I think the term alien in general just, like you said, dehumanizes them because when people think of aliens, they think of, you know, out of this world beings or not even other worlds. Yeah. And I think that ties into the problem. I was actually watching a video. I don't know if you saw it, but it was this woman in, um, I think it was somewhere in Canada, I think Montreal, but she was in a, uh, I think it was a department store or a CVS store. And she was yelling at these Asian um, cashiers and people working in the pharmacy section of the store. And she was basically saying, because they were talking Chinese, and she was basically saying, oh, go back to China or something. Don't speak Chinese here. She was like, you're being rude. And I, I just... I don't understand that, that argument. Go go back to where you came from. I, I don't understand that. Like, America's supposed to be the land of the free and all this opportunity, but you don't want the people to take those opportunities because you don't want... Because you're, you're upset because they're speaking a different language. Yeah. And I find it so funny that now I watched a video of um, an Australian police officer comparing, using America as the comparison of what not to do. They were, they were saying, oh, we're not like America. That's the point we've gotten to where people are comparing us I in a negative. There was, there was a British officer and um, this woman was... I think, or Germany, they were in Germany, she was in Germany, and she was scared, she, like, had her hands up and everything, like, she got pulled over, and they were, like, why are you scared, this is not America, and I was, like, yeah, that's what's happening now, and, I don't know, it's just funny, the fact that we're supposed to be this land of the free, where everyone's created equal, well, we just spent 40 minutes explaining why that's not true, like, uh, I don't know, but, yeah, anyway, um, well, I guess to wrap this up then, if you would like to say this very, very powerful quote. Oh, yeah. So, there's this quote by the president of the NAACP, Derek Johnson. He says, racism, racism is not a partisan issue. I mean, stop making it a partisan issue. It's a question of morality. And I think that is so key because you cannot, it doesn't, like, this is not a bipartisan issue. Like, this is not Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal. That This is not that problem. This is a problem of, do you, like, are you racist or not? It's not, well, you are equal. Like, this doesn't fall like, oh, yeah, Democrats, they're, they, they're, they're, I don't even know how to, like, how you could, like, rationalize it in your brain where it's okay for any of this to happen. Because, because your political views don't necessarily align with this, like, you should, re- you should realign yourself. Because, like, like, with the ICE issue, that's a question of morality. That's not like, I'm a conservative, so I don't really believe that. No. You're a person, and those are other people. You need to look at them as other people and, like, put yourself in their shoes. Would you be okay with that if that was your child? If you came here to make a life for your child, would you be okay with them being punished for that? I don't yeah, exactly. think so. That's also why the whole 
Black Lives Matter movement that's happening now, people are making it into a partisan issue. It's but it's not. If you look at all the pictures of like the protests, it's the Black Lives Matter and then the opposition are people who support Trump. Why is that like your immediate opposition? Why is that? Like, this is not some, we're not attacking you. We're, no one's attacking anybody. We're simply yeah. just saying Black it's Lives Matter. Like, almost like it's Trump versus everyone else. Like, anyone who believes in Black Lives Matter now. That's, I don't know, but that's a problem for everyone. Yeah. Um, well, I think that was it for this episode, right? Yep. If you have anything else to add. I think we covered everything in a, I think we're good. So um, I hope everyone who listens, I hope someone listens to this, learns about racism a little more. I actually searched a podcast last night. I didn't see any podcast named like, what is systemic racism? So maybe we could title it that. But anyway, yes, thank you for listening. And I hope you guys enjoyed.